You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Families, we talked to Burton, uh, did a mini interview with her uh, about uh, children's ministry and really more than that, more than just children's ministry, but how do we reach families? Um, and then uh, last week we talked to, um, to uh, Fritz Hager, who is the president of the uh, school board, um, which I was so blessed. I mean, he hung around after church for probably 30 minutes, um, just talking, answering questions, making connections. Um, and uh, I saw him the next day, happened to, to see him, uh, and he just told me again how much he enjoyed being with us and just how much we appreciate him um, coming and just sharing the burdens uh, the challenges and also the successes of TISD and how our congregation can be a part uh, of what, um, what God is doing there uh, in our city. Today we're talking about changing our world, and you can see how this is a, an expanding vision. So it always starts with an individual life. Like when I first came to the Lord, uh, it was, this will date me, but whatever, um, it was the age of uh, when televangelists were really on the ascendancy, like a PTL Club, the 700 Club, um, and several others. Uh, and they were, at that time, they were saying, this is how we're going to reach the world. This, this, the ability to broadcast the gospel is going to reach the world. And I do thank God for that. I do thank God for the technology that we have and the ability to reach literally millions of people um, but the gospel is always applied and shared and experienced one-on-one, firsthand. Even if you're sitting in front of your television and you make a profession of faith, if you're going to grow in your faith, you've got to make connection with people. It can't be something that's just done broad scale and, and, uh, and broadcast, but it has to be something that is applied uh, individually. Um, and so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about changing our world. And I just want to start with um, a, uh, this um, reminder from uh, the Gospel of Mark. There's a very similar uh, charge in the book of Acts, uh, first chapter of Acts, um, Matthew uh, and in um, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, there are, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the names of the Gospels here. <laughs> We, got, we can only go up from here. Uh, in, uh, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. This is, this is in uh, three of the gospels and in the book of Acts um, that Jesus gives the char- that charge not just to his disciples but to his people. It's a lifestyle. It's part of believing. It's part of being a Christian and part of trusting the Lord um, is to also be active in, uh, in sharing the good things that God has given you with, uh, with others. So we want to look at that today. Um, and I'll start by making a simple observation. The gospel changes things. The gospel changes things. The real power of the gospel is the power to change. The power to not be stuck in what we are and not just be a, an in, like a closed system, but to be open to something. It's, it's heaven reaching earth, and when heaven touches earth, man, things change when it really happens. It starts by it being uh, an individual thing, but it, also, it, but it immediately happens 
to fundamentally change a group. So any group that you're a part of, when you are fundamentally changed, when you are transformed, that group is going to be affected. Whether they take a vote and say whether they want to be affected or not, if you're an active, vibrant member of a group, a family, a place where you work, um, a club, um, a school, um, anything like this, if you're an active participant and a member of that, when you change, it changes the group. It has that effect on the group. Um, first of all, with the individuals that we, that we have contact with. Secondly, with the spheres of influence that we have. And this compounded together. Listen, Tyler is such an awesome place to live. I don't know if you, I know the traffic is bad, and I know we don't have maybe as great a selection of some things as some of the bigger cities do. Um, but I'm just blown away by this city over and over and over again. Um, by the people of the city, by just kind of the spirit of the city. Um, we're not perfect. I'm not saying that we're perfect. But we live in an environment that's conducive to faith. And you can't put a price on that. And that's not for self-gratification or to lavish that upon ourselves. That's to be strong in the things of the Lord. That's to grow in the things of the Lord. That's to, that's to raise your family in an environment where it's not like speaking a foreign language to talk about the Word and to talk about the Lord and, and to give instruction that way and to live that way. We live in a, in a great city. Um, but God expects the church to have a profound effect upon this city. And God expects the church not to be satisfied just to kind of insulate ourselves in a little bubble, right? On Sunday morning. And that, this, is, this is no bubble, I can tell you. Um, it's complicated. People have complicated lives. Um, if you're here today and you're not used to being in church, I can tell you that the, we're not perfect, okay? We got problems. And there's nobody looking down on you because you got problems. We're all in this together, and we're just like, you know, let's go for it. Let's don't, you know, let's don't let our past hold us back, you know. Let's, let's respond to the call of the Lord. I don't care what your past is. God has a tomorrow for you, and he's got a today for you. Um, and that's what the church is, is all about, and that's what it's supposed to be. And then the other thing that I shared last week that um, I just wanted to um, reiterate to you is that what we're talking about today is our mission. Uh, we used to call this like evangelism, but evangelism is easily misunderstood. Our mission is to do what Jesus said for us to do, to proclaim, to live, um, to demonstrate the gospel, to disciple people. That's what our call is um, from the Lord. And listen, all of that is evangelism. So it's not just talking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord and leading them to Christ. Every time I talk to somebody and I help them take a step closer in, that's evangelism. And there are some people that it's going to take a lot of that to ever come to a place to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, to really know Him. It may just start with a curiosity or something like that. And if I can be used by God to help them take a step closer to faith, that's evangelism. And it's also evangelism when I'm ministering to somebody, and our city is full of, because our city is full of churches, our city is full of a bunch of people that have been hurt by the church. And sometimes that's harder to reach somebody like that than it is to reach somebody who has never heard the gospel. But I'm, that's also evangelism. When I meet somebody and when I engage with somebody in a loving, um, uh, edifying 
um, Christ-filled way, and I help them take a step closer to healing, that's evangelism too. It's not just for the people who don't know the Lord, it's also for the people who know the Lord, and that's the ones that we're called to, proclaiming the gospel to everyone that we have the opportunity to, with our words, mainly with our lifestyle, and with our heart to care for people and our heart of compassion. How can we change our world with the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Um, first of all, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, like I said, it changes things. Here's what it changes. Here's some of the things that it changes. It rearranges our priorities. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. If you don't know God, you're not going to seek first the kingdom of God. If you know God in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a meaningful way, and I'm not just talking knowing about, but I'm talking about knowing Him. Jesus said, this is eternal life. What's eternal life? That they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just existing. Eternal life is not just breathing and your heart beating. Eternal life is knowing Him. And that's what we're destined for. If you don't know Him yet, then you have no concept of what heaven is going to be because heaven is going to be... We define heaven by all the stuff that's not going to be there, right? No more tears, no more sorrow, no more, you know, uh, uh, no more conflicts. Um, you know, there's none of that because we, we can't... The only way to decide, define it is by what is there and what is there is Him. He's there. And if you don't delight yourself in Him, if you don't know Him then being in His presence, as we have seen many times in Scriptures, is not always a pleasant experience. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him, not just about Him, but to know Him in a personal and intimate and loving way. And listen, He's taken the initiative on the love thing. He loves you in ways that you can't even imagine. And when you get loved by Him that way, loving Him is a natural reaction. It's what you're going to do. It rearranges our priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God. Um, Paul says uh, something like this. He said, I sought to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now listen to the words. He said, I sought to know. He didn't say I sought to preach nothing among you. But he said, I sought to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all Paul wanted to know. And that's all Paul was doing when he was preaching, when he was teaching, when he was ministering, when he was doing all of these things. He was seeking to know Jesus Christ. Not necessarily to do all of those activities, but to know him more. Paul put himself in front of a bunch of different kind of people. Rarely was he in front of his guys, his people, his peeps, right? Most of the time he was in front of somebody that was vastly different than him. And we get some insight into what he's doing there by saying G he wants to see Jesus Christ. He wants to see the, the power of his resurrection um, in, uh, manifest in all kind of cultures, in all kind of places, with all kinds of people. It rearranges our priorities. Secondly, it realigns our values. Um, last week we talked about the scripture where it says, what is, God has shown you, O oh man, um, uh, what the Lord requires of you, what, what is pleasing to Him and what the Lord requires of you. You remember what it is to do justly, to love mercy and to walk 
humbly with God. That's, that's the essence of what God, lifestyle, that God wants us. That manifestation of, you know, Jesus told Nicodemus, you know, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And we use that term born again a lot. It's very much like birth. It's very much like birth. It's the result of intimacy. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God brings about a conception in your heart, and a new person is born. Now, Nicodemus couldn't understand this because it was a concept that had never been enumerated before. It's never been spelled out for people before. But Jesus Christ was talking about, he told the woman at the well, we talk about what we know. We're, we're, we're worshiping what we know. And he was giving Nicodemus spiritual insight to a spiritual reality. That there is a new creation that is born when intimacy with God occurs. When you come before God and you open yourself up to Him and when you ask Him to reveal Himself to you and when you let Him see all of you, your dirty laundry, your, your successes, your failures, all of that, there's something that happens. It's conception. Something is conceived. A new creation is born. And old things are passed away and you are not your past. And you are not held up by what it was, whatever happened before. Your life is defined by that relationship that you have established with God. And there's a lifestyle that comes out of that. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's another way that it rearranges our values. It causes us to see um, uh, our lives, um, what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, upside down from what we thought before. And there's a lot about following Jesus that's going to be upside down. And we say amen to that, don't we? It's great. It's awesome. Jesus said, um, uh, in the world, the people that are, want to be leaders and rulers lord it over people. You know anybody like that? Is there a part of you that thinks that's what leadership is? Well, when Jesus Christ becomes Lord of your life, he turns that upside down. And he says, the greatest among you is going to be the servant of all. Now my values are not how many people can I get to obey me, but how many opportunities do I have to serve people? How many, how many chances do I get to serve people? And you think about this, it makes so much sense. Because there's limitless opportunities to serve. Right? There's not a whole lot of opportunities where you can just step in and say, I want to lead this thing. But you can step in almost anywhere, school, church, uh, your work, your family, and just say, how can I help? And Jesus says, that's leading. That's, that's what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. And I can tell you from personal experiences, if you'll do that enough and if you'll be faithful to do it, not just do it on a whim and not just because it makes you feel good for a minute, but dedicate yourself to helping, to being there to help people. God will give you more and more authority and opportunity to do that. It changes our it realigns our values. Caring for the weak among you. There are so many people that are just left by the sideline by human beings, by, by the human race. It's not just our society and it's not just our culture, it's the human culture. That we're all taking care of ourselves and we're all looking out for ourselves and there are so many broken people that are left by the wayside. Maybe you were there. Maybe you have been there. Maybe people have looked down and judged you because of something that has happened to you that has just devastated you. 
That's not the way that it's supposed to be. We are supposed to care for the weak among us. I don't know if, um, if you're on uh, social media. Um, did you see that, um, that little video clip of the boys' basketball game this past week uh, where there's this little kid? I don't know what his, his deal was, but he was obviously very physically and probably mentally challenged that was on this basketball team. Little bitty kid, great big glasses. Um, and he was standing right under the hoop when they're playing basketball. And all these kids are like crowded around him. And there's this, I can't say it any other way, fat kid that was standing right next to him. And he caught the ball and he handed it to the little kid. And then he picked him up and the little kid just flubbed it. It just bounced off the floor and then it bounced around. And then the other kids are all chasing it. That fat kid went after the ball, man. He went and got the ball. He brought it back. He gave it to the kid. He held it up for the kid. And the kid made the basket and went running down. I mean, he was so animated. He was so happy. And that is such a picture of Jesus to me. That's what Jesus did for me, man. That's what Jesus did for me. Like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I mean, I, I have wanted to. Like, I'm in it, and I'm trying to do it, and it's way beyond me. And he's like, I got you, you know? And he holds you up there by his grace, and he gives you the ability to do these things, to, to, to live a godly life, to be a blessing to other people, to, um, to live a lifestyle that doesn't result in your own heartbreak and your own devastation and the devastation of people around you but a lifestyle that's conducive to life and health and joy and peace. He holds us up. He gives us the opportunity to do that. Jesus pointed this out to his disciples. He said um, after he had washed their feet and he sat down, because it was a lesson, you know. It was like it was blowing them away. They were just like they didn't understand, you know, what was happening. It's like if you had the president, well, so, well, we can say the president. The president of the United States comes to your house and you're like, the bathroom needs to be cleaned and Donald Trump goes and cleans your bathroom. You're just like, what is going on, right? That was the same thing because when they, the culture that they lived in and the environment that they lived in, it wasn't just dirt that their feet got in. It was all the animals and everything else and just filthy, filthy feet. And he went and got a towel and he wrapped himself like the lowest servant. The, the servant that would, that would empty the chamber pot or something like that. And he took that role for them. And listen, so he didn't just leave it to their imagination like what he was doing. When he had finished, he sat back down among them in his proper place and in the place that he deserved, the place of rabbi, the place of leader, the place of teacher. He said, you call me Lord and you're right to do that. But he said, what I have done is what I want you to do to other people. For other people. Have you ever had a moment when you just felt like you were like Jesus in some small way? If you love him, man, there is nothing like that. There is, there is no experience on earth like realizing that just a little bit of Jesus is living in you and through you and that you're serving other people with that. It realigns our values, and finally, it revives our culture. It reverses our trajectory. I see sin in an individual and in a culture as a downward spiral. Most of the time, the way that it starts is very subtle. Most of the time, the way that it starts is something that is not, objection, not that objectionable. It's understandable. 
but the effect that it has is a downward trajectory left to have its effect on an individual and on a culture, it will lead to death. It will lead to destruction. Because it leads to guilt, it leads to shame, it leads to broken relationships, um, it leads to lack of hope, a loss of hope and despondency, and it leads to a pointless death. Sin, when it has its full effect in our culture and in us individually, is a downward spiral. And unless it's stopped, unless something stems the tide, unless something takes issue with it, and unless we say, I am sorry for that, and reverse that trend, it's going to continue to eat at us like a cancer. It will continue to have its devastating effect upon us. In contrast, the gospel is an ever-increasing, healing, um, transforming presence in our lives and in our culture. And that's why God doesn't want us to live in a bubble, because he cares about the people that disagree with us, and he cares about the people that hate us. And he wants us to be a healing balm. He wants us to be um, an ambassador, one that is sent with a specific job to represent his government. He wants us to be an ambassador of reconciliation. He wants us to reach out, not with a white flag to surrender, but looking for the opportunity to engage people to draw them back to the one thing that God created them for, and that's to be his child and to be in relationship with him. What begins as a small thing becomes a deadly disease. Have you ever experienced that? I'm not recommending this to anybody, but I started smoking cigarettes when I was in junior high. By the time I got to be 23 or 24, when Jesus had his, his, his hooks in me, and I wanted to be, it was a hard to quit. It was harder to quit smoking cigarettes than anything else. That first cigarette was about the easiest thing that I could do, and I did it to be like everybody else. I wanted to be an individual, see? I wanted to be like everybody else. And what did I get? I didn't just get a cigarette. I got a habit that became an addiction that was really hard to quit when I came to myself and said, why am I doing this, you know? And it's like that with a lot of different types of sin. A lot of things that we expose ourselves to to begin with, the gospel, that really and it's as possible. The best possible scenario is for the gospel to prevent us from making these mistakes so that we don't get trapped in addictions. That we're able to be free from that. Uh, you know, there's a scripture in the, I think it's in the Old Testament pretty sure it's in the Old Testament, I don't think Jesus said it, that says, uh, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Have you ever heard that? Do you know you can understand that two different ways? That is, and let me just start by telling you, this is the way that Jesus wants you to see it. Though your sins are as scarlet, and that's like a dye that is deeply ingrained in us. It's not just superficial and it's not just topical. It goes all the way down to our heart. It penetrates into our very heart. Your sins be as scarlet. He said, I will make them as white as snow. So what he does is he removes them as if you had never sinned before. He forgives, but he's not just after forgiveness. He's after removing the effect, the deadly effect of sin 
in our lives. But listen, there's another way to look at that because that description, it's scarlet and then it becomes white as snow, is also a description of leprosy. That it starts with just a little rising, just a little red bump. But when it turns white as snow, that means it's deadly. That means it's set in. That means it's leprosy. And that's what sin is. Sin does not remain the way that it is. It will either get worse until it is stopped, or we're going to apply the blood and we're going to apply the cross to it, and we're going to repent, and we're going to open our heart up to the Lord, and He's going to eradicate it from our lives. And I'll I'll say one more thing about that. Um, It's a process most of the time. He forgives immediately, but getting free from sin, a lot of times there's a lot of stumbling, um, there's a lot of mistakes. It just takes some determination. It takes some, every time you fall, you say, I'm not staying down, I'm getting back up. Right? Like, was that Rocky 4 or Rocky, Rocky 1? Maybe it was Rocky 1 or Rocky 2, when Burgess Meredith, when, when Rocky is knocked flat on his back and he's knocked out, and Burgess Meredith gets right up in his face. You remember what he says to him? He says, get up, you bum. <laughs> Jesus isn't calling you a bum, but he's just like, uh, you got to keep getting up, man. You can't give up. You can't let that be the final thing. And if you'll do that, he'll give you the ability to do it. He'll give you the ability to do it. He does the hard part. We do the, just the part that we can do. And sometimes that seems hard, but it's not nearly as hard or as costly as what he did. We're talking about reaching the world. Sometimes it takes somebody from outside a culture to speak into a culture. Sometimes it's difficult for people in a culture, number one, to grasp it, but also to, um, to respect somebody. Sometimes it's somebody from outside a culture that they respect, that they will listen to, when they wouldn't listen to somebody from their own culture. And that's why what we're talking about today, about going into the world, and this is whether you're going into a foreign land or whether you're going into the inner city that you're not used to, um, or uh, whether you're going into a prison or, or something like that. You're going into a foreign, your mission has taken you into a foreign environment, and that's because God uses that sometimes in a really powerful way to impact and to change a culture that they wouldn't necessarily listen to somebody that looks like them, but they would listen to somebody who looks and, dick, and acts and thinks differently uh, them than, than them. And that's why it's um, such, a, um, such a, uh, a vital thing for us to be able to do that. But when we go into these cultures, it's like um, um, Louis uh, Swan, who's the um, uh, founder of uh, Site.org. Um, one of the things that Site.org does is that they use um, people in Africa to minister to people in Africa. Now, the, the people from the United States have a role to play, but their role is to equip the people who live there, the people who are part of that culture. So we come maybe in from the outside with something to offer, which is so valuable. Um, eyesight, um, um, you know, uh, dealing with cataracts and, and things like that. We offer something that's so valuable, but it's not like they're always going to be dependent on something that's coming from here. They're dependent on the Lord there. And they become a well springing up to, to everlasting life. This is what God wants. God wants that independence. He wants that autonomy. Not independence from Him, but independence from some other outside source to where they're getting it from God and they're ministering it um, uh, themselves. So let me, let me finish with this and then we've got a, a little mini interview. 
I guess our clock is not working. Uh, huh? Oh, we're behind time? Okay, let's just go straight to the interview. David uh, Cook is going to interview um, Elizabeth and uh, Catherine McPherson. Let's give them a good welcome as they come. Right, man, I'm excited about this interview. Uh, if you've grown up in this house or you've known these young ladies um, like Emily and I have for the last, well, all of their lives, <laughs> we have been so privileged and so blessed to watch Catherine and Elizabeth grow up and just mature in the Lord and step into their calling. And they both have a real heart for missions. They both just have a heart to reach the world and to reach uh, people that are not some of the easiest people to reach. And so I want to give them just a minute to talk just a little bit about uh, their affiliation, who you're affiliated with as far as your mission field and who your people group is. Catherine, who are you, who are you after? Um, so I'm going to be going to Kona, Hawaii to do a DTS with YWAM. Um, I don't know where I'm going on outreach yet. So I'll spend the first two months there in Hawaii just around DTS people. I'll be on campus, and I'll just be surrounded by this huge like community of Jesus-loving people, which I have been doing for the last like four years. And it's something that um, really challenges me and really grows me. So I'm very excited to be doing that um, and then just wherever God puts us out on the field. Awesome. How about you, Elizabeth? Um, so I'm joining Antioch Community Church and going to an outreach to Dubai in the Middle East for two weeks. And so we will be ministering to the Muslims there. Wow. And if you've, if you've ever heard uh, uh, Elizabeth speak much, she really has a heart for the Muslim nation. And she really has a, just a burden uh, for that uh, particular people group. In fact, she's in nursing school right now. And a big part of her reason to even want to become a nurse is so that she can have an open door to go and minister to uh, that particular demographic, that people group. So that's awesome. So... Um, just describe just a little bit to us, um, you know, for us here listening today, um, going to, you know, somewhere far away, especially the Middle East or something like that, and giving your whole life to a mission field is a big step. That's a big leap for most of us. What, how did you know in your heart that you were called to this? And Catherine, you can go first. Um, so I've been wanting to do a DTS for a while since I was maybe like a senior in high school or something like that, but like timing just didn't work out until this year because of dancing and whatnot. Um, so I wasn't like ever a moment when I was like a kid or in high school that I was like, oh, I want to go and do this, but kind of like just suddenly happened that I like realized I wanted to do ballet for Jesus. So I've been doing that for the last four years and like during those times of ministering and just meeting people where they're at and just like meeting a huge like variety of people, it just has been really sweet to see like how much joy it brings to me and like how much I feel myself when I get to do that. Um, so it's just been really cool. Like Jesus has confirmed it just like by little bits like this whole entire time. Um, and just now I like took a break from it for like a year and I was like wanted to step back and like see what else the Lord called me to do. And um, he like kind of reminded me of a DTS and so it's just been a really cool year of preparing for that. Awesome. 
How about you, Liz? When did God wreck your heart for, for the Muslim community? Um, so I was 14 or 15. I think I was 14. And Helen Morris's brother and sister-in-law came and spoke one night randomly about what they're doing in the Middle East. And um, something that really hit me hard was they said it's one of the top unreached people groups. I'm like, what? Like, unreached people group means they're on an island somewhere and you can't get to them or they speak a language that no one knows how to translate. Like, Muslim, they're all in the Middle East. That's huge. How are they unreached? And so God really just put that burden on my heart to go and reach them and to love them and get to know them. Um, and ever since then, I've just been learning about them. I did a three-month internship with Antioch Community Church to um, Michigan, which has a huge Muslim and refugee population. And so I just lived life on life with these people. And that was probably the biggest confirmation that I've had that this is what God wants me to do. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when you get this burden, you know, on your heart to step out in faith like that, and we all experience this, whether it's on a small level or on a great big level like you guys, there's always this temptation to be a little bit scared and to hold back. And is that God? Is that me? Um, uh, you know, there's fears that we have to c overcome to make that initial first step and get the ball rolling. What were some of those fears that you guys faced in uh, deciding to step out and give your life to the mission field? Yeah, um, so... I think that the first thing that was really exciting for me is like I moved from like Tyler, Texas up to Washington and there's like a huge culture difference for sure. And now I get to go Hawaii, which will be another like culture difference. And like the Lord has placed that on my heart. That's something I really love to do, but still that's like can be scary because I'm going to go to like this whole new group of people that I've never met before. Um, so that will be like challenging as like an introvert who's like pretty... <laughs> shy and doesn't like talking in front of a lot of people and all that so <laughs> that'll be fun and um just like opportunities god has also given me to like overcome that with like sharing my testimony and like just um encouraging people like one-on-one -on -one is my thing that's what i love to do but lord also like has pushed me to share in front of like large groups of people before um so that's something like i always have to like like get myself excited about and like get pumped up about and like remember that it's like so worth it to be like nervous or unsure for those couple of moments to like reach and impact people like it's so much um, better to do it than just to be afraid and also being afraid of like fundraising like this is the first time I've had to fundraise because for the last um, four years I've been like working so I've been like providing for myself so it's like another huge step to be like okay Lord I'm gonna trust you to provide for me and realizing that yeah, it's just like so out of my control and like that's super hard and it's super like scary, the unknown, but remembering like how much the Lord has provided for me in the last, like my whole entire life, seriously, it's been crazy. Um, some really cool things have happened, especially the last four years in provision wise. Um, so just trying to remember like how faithful he has been. And um, yeah, I mean, there's like gonna be other things like I probably will get sick and I don't like flying and like there's like small like, inconvenient things that like are so um like just temporal and like don't really matter in the long scheme so I'm like not even gonna let those like affect me but I'm gonna like just keep pursuing and remembering like what is important and that like my discomfort is okay um compared to like what I get to do for these people amen amen so let me ask you this Liz um you are going after what we would in America would say it's not an easy mission field. It's a difficult challenge um, to bring Christianity uh, to Muslim community. So as far as um, us just regular church going people, 
how can we help that community? What are some just basic ways? Because Muslims are not just in the Middle East. They're here. We work with them. We go to school with them. Uh, we're friends with them. They're our friends. They're our neighbors. How can we as Christians here in the West, how can we bridge that gap and get to them and share the love of God with them? What, what are some, some ways that we can overcome some of the challenges? What are some of the challenges maybe? And then what are some of the ways that we can bridge that and get, and get to their heart? Um, so that's a really good question. From what I hear from the Muslim community here in Tyler is that they don't feel welcomed and they don't feel loved. And I was like, what? But we're majority Christian in Tyler, Texas. Like, that shouldn't be the case. They're building their own community in White House where it's just going to be like a suburb of Muslims. And I'm like, that shouldn't be how it, you know, it should be different. They should feel welcomed and loved. And something, it's really practical, but it's like recognize them um, and to eat with them. And it's just like what Jesus did with Zacchaeus is that he recognized him up there in the tree. And then he went and go and ate with them. And that completely changed his heart. Well, he was like, well, I'm going to give all my money to the poor and this and that. And that's what I have seen here in Tyler. And what I saw in Michigan is there's this phrase in Arabic. It's called salam alaikum. And it means peace be upon you. And that's like a common greeting. And so when I was walking in the streets, um, if I would see a lady in her headscarf, I would say that to her, and she would stop whatever she was doing, and she would just, like, light up and start talking to me and, like, invite me to go eat with her family or this and that. And you're like, how, do you, how do you say uh, that again? Salam alaikum. Salam alaikum. peace, alaykum. yes. Alaikum, upon you. Yeah, oh, it's salam. like peace be upon you. Um, and so they would respond with a wa alaikum as-salam, which means and peace be upon you. Um, but just those little things, like if you know that there's a Muslim family that has kids that goes to your kid's school, like invite them over for dinner and just research about them. They don't eat pork, so when you have a meal with them, don't eat pork. They're very big on modesty, so the whole time we're in Michigan, we wouldn't show our knees, we wouldn't show our behinds, we wouldn't show our elbows, like ever. Even if it was 101 degrees, we're wearing long sleeves, long pants, or skirts, whatever it was just to show that respect, um, and that really helps them feel loved and welcomed. So just research um, and look at what you can do. Find out um, if the mosque is doing anything, because they will do certain things like fun drives for um, blankets for people in Syria or whatever. Just figure out what you can do, and then like go and take the initiative and invite them over to eat or whatever it may be. Yeah, so just be a friend. Be yeah. a neighbor. Love your neighbor. So, did you have a scripture to share with us? Um, it was out of Romans 14, and it was just kind of saying um, what I was just talking about was, you know, if a food or a drink or something offends your brother, like, then don't eat that or don't drink that. Um, and then it says... For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy on the Holy Spirit. And as you do those things, as you're sensitive to their culture, that's when you get to see the kingdom of God move. And it's not about eating or drinking or whatever. It's just about being with them and having that peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys very much. We really appreciate you. Remember the garage sale this weekend, Saturday. Uh, Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday. Yeah, from 8 to 2 on Friday, then like 8 to 1 on Saturday. Good chance to hear here at the church. Good chance to do some spring cleaning and help yeah. help out a, uh, one of our own. Yeah. All right, let's give them a big hand. Thank yeah. you guys. Good job.
So, as we get ready to close here, uh, Tinder can go ahead and come forward. Um, Brother Joe wanted me to share a testimony uh, that I was sharing with him this past week um, that kind of goes really along with what we're talking about here today, how to change our world. Because when we talk about changing the world, I mean, that's, that's big. That's a big target. And so how do we do that? Where do we even begin with something so uh, enormous as changing our whole world? Um, and I, begin, I believe it begins this way. We are called to touch those who are closest to us first. We are called to touch one life at a time. So big picture of the world is what we want to change and transform. But the beginning step for that is to touch the life that's closest to you, the one that God gives you a burden for that's right there on your heart. And so um, this past week, I was at the gym, and, um, and I happened to notice a young guy working out, and he was limping real bad. And so I'm observing him, and he's trying to push through this workout, and I notice he's got a real bad hamstring. He keeps grabbing his left hamstring and really wincing and trying to walk it off. And um, normally when I'm at the gym, I'm just like, I'm in the zone. I've got the earphones on. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to, I'm just there to get it done and get out and get on the way. But the Lord wouldn't leave me alone about this guy. And I kept watching him walk around the gym. And, um, and I knew that I was going to end up praying for this guy because normally that's the way the Lord does it. He'll, he'll, he'll just open my eyes and he'll show me a need or he'll drop something in my heart for somebody. And I know that at some point I'm going to be praying for him. And that's the kind of the feeling I had with this guy. I watched him limp around the gym I said, okay, Lord, you know, just give me an open door with him. And so it just so happened that he and I ended up in the same part of a gym, of this gym together. Um, and so I, I got his attention and I asked him about his leg. And I said, are you, you hurting? And he said, yeah, I'm hurting real bad. I don't know what I've done. I've hurt, I've hurt my hamstring. And so I said, well, you know, uh, what I do for a living is rehab therapy. I said, um, what is, you know, I just kind of asked him about his injury. I said, tell me a little bit about it. How'd you hurt it? So on and so forth. So he's describing his injury and he said, man, what do I do about this? And so I said, well, here's the protocol. So I gave him, you know, the standard protocol for, for how to, for what to do for that injury. And he was so thankful and so grateful that I took the time to do that while I had his attention. I mean, this is an open door opportunity. And I said, listen, um, would you mind, I've given you all the advice I can give you and all the, all the help I can give you, but I believe that God wants to touch this leg. And I said, would you mind if I just pause for a moment and pray for you? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. So right there in the gym, everybody walking around us, I just put my hand on his shoulder and I begin to pray for him. You know, I begin to talk to the Lord, you know, about this young man. And as I'm praying for this young man, the Lord's giving me things for him, specifically things to pray about him and for him. And I can tell that it's significantly impacting his heart. And so I also pray for his leg to be healed and to be restored and, um, and all of that. But I'm praying, what I'm doing is I'm hearing the Father's heart for this young man as I'm praying. And it's just really impacting his heart. So when we finish praying, he just looks over at me and he's like, wow, like, thank you. He didn't know what to say. He was just kind of overcome. So in about 10 minutes, he left uh, a little bit ahead of me. 
And a few minutes later, I left, and I left the gym, and I went out to my car, to my truck, and it just so happens that my truck and his truck were parked side by side. He's facing this way, and I'm facing that way, and he was sitting there with his window down. Because there was this, there was this thing in my heart that I felt like we weren't done. I felt like there was more to this conversation. And God set me up again. And so I walked out into the parking lot, and there he's sitting right beside my truck. And I said, hey, brother, uh, thanks again for letting me pray for you. And he was just kind of sitting there. You could tell he was deep in thought. He looked over, and he said, man, you have no idea how bad I needed that today. He said, I'm, I'm in a place in my life right now where I'm not walking with God, but I feel like everywhere I turn, he's trying to get my attention. And he said, I'm hearing, I'm, you know, through, through people sharing things with me about God or on the radio or wherever I go, I feel like God is just trying to speak to me. And he said, what you did today was like, I don't know what to do with that. And I said, well, let me share a little bit about my story. So I shared my, ter- my personal testimony with him. I shared how I had been away from the Lord. I shared with him how it took me a long time to get up the courage and how I was so afraid to come back to God because I had this image that he would be standing there like an angry father with arms folded waiting to, to give it to me when I came home. And I said, but you know what? I, I found him to be more like this. Arms wide open. Welcome home, son. I've been waiting. Let's party. Let's change everything. Let's change your life and make it awesome. And I just shared that with with him. I said, listen, that's what he wants to do for you. And all you have to do is just say yes and just surrender. Just surrender your life to Jesus. Now, I didn't force him into some some moment of making a, a declaration or a prayer of salvation. That's between him and the Lord. But listen, God's got him surrounded. He ain't getting away. He ain't getting away. And in that moment, he said, that's what I need to do. I need to surrender. And I said, yes, you do. And I said, it's the best thing you could, it's the best decision you could ever make. And so he thanked me again and shook his hand and he, he drove off. And of course, I'm just continuing to pray for this young man and believing that God is leading him in. Here's what I want to say. Here's the encouragement I want to give you today. That's how we change the world. One life at a time. We walk with our eyes open and our hearts wide open. And we begin every day by saying, Lord, I'm yours. What do you want to do today? Who do you want to touch today? Who who?" out there needs to know the love that you've given me. And if you pray and begin a day like that, God will be faithful to put you in situations where you can be used by him in a mighty way. He is waiting to give us that opportunity. We are the answer for changing the world. We are his representatives here on the earth. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's in me, and it's in you. And here's what I want to say. I used a very natural resource, my knowledge of the the human body, to perform a very supernatural thing. You have the same power inside of you. You have the same ability inside of you. If you are a born-again believer and you have the Holy Spirit, you have the same thing that I do. There's no junior Holy Spirit. 
we all have the same Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Here's what I want to say. What is the natural resource that's in your hand today? What is the natural thing that you have? It may be knowledge. It may be a skill. It may be resources. It may be time. It may be a heart for a burden for people, a people group. I don't know what your skill set is. I don't know what your passions are. I don't know what your natural natural abilities are. But God wants to lay hold of those things to make an open door for a supernatural conversation to take place and for supernatural power to go forth. It may go forth in the form of healing. It may go forth in the form of just hearing God's heart and speaking it to somebody in such a way that they're blown away. I don't know how God's going to speak or use you, but he's given you power. He's given us all power in the Holy Spirit to do things that no one else on earth can do. It is what the church alone can do. We're the only ones who have the Holy Spirit. So think about your life today. What are the natural resources? What are the natural things that you possess? What's in your hand today that can be a key to open a door into somebody's life, into somebody's heart for a very supernatural encounter with God? Amen? I'm going to call Brother Joe up, and we're going to get ready to transition to communion. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to prepare our hearts to uh, come to the table. Um, Just open your heart up to the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Search us and try us, Lord. I pray that this would be uh, not just a a small meal, Lord, but a a significant meeting between you and us uh, today. We need you, Lord. We need your wisdom need your healing. We need you, Lord, to tell us who we are. We need our identity to be in you. We need our values, Lord, to be upturned, uh, overturned. So as we come to this table and as we break this bread and as we drink this cup, Lord, we remember your sacrifice, but we also remember, Lord, what you purchased by that. You purchased our lives and you have given us eternal life pray, God, that as we walk out of this place, that we would walk out of it as new creations, Lord. If we've come in under a burden uh, from anything other than you, if we've come in, Lord, broken or or despondent, um, that we would walk out changed because the gospel changes things and it changes us first. We thank you for that and rejoice in it in Jesus' name. Can I have the um, elders join me?